Thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at montrosechurch.org. Have a great day. so great and uh, we believe in these long-term partnerships we believe in building relationships and getting to know people and getting active in their lives and so thank you for making that possible and uh, we just believe in the power of that and what that means to change our world and so uh, let's just keep at it let's be faithful in all of those processes Uh, Joan Rivers used to open her show by saying uh, can we talk And I think uh, that's what I'd like to do this morning. I'd like to have a chance to just talk uh, about where we are, about what's happening in our world, about a church that's going to reopen for in-person services in the next few weeks, about the decisions that are getting made, uh, the challenges that are in front of us. And and I just want us to settle into that sort of process this morning and conversation this morning. So... Let me ask you this. Do you consider yourself to be a leader? Now, we all know that in the vast expanse of human personalities and human behavior that, that we all are sort of unique, and not all of us consider ourselves to be that type A lion, you know, king or queen of the beasts who dominate other people, and, and, and really by sheer force of our personality and and confidence we lead. And yet, when you begin to think about that, it it seems clear that Jesus has an expectation that all of us, as disciples of Jesus, we're to use our God-given personalities to lead. So that as he looks out over that crowd and is speaking the words of the Sermon on the Mount, he, he says these words, "'You are the light of the world.'" A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So he looks out over that massive crowd, and he says to them, in mass, you are the light of the world. He doesn't designate a few of them. He He doesn't say that some of them, but all of them are the light of the world. And in that sense, they are all called to be leaders. And we are all called to be leaders. Are you leading? Do you think of that? Do you consider yourself to be a part of the solution? Do you think of what God is inviting you to do and in what way He's inviting you to lead? So I would think that what that implies is that a quiet person can lead as a light, and a shy person can lead as a light, and a, an intellectual can lead as a light, and an introvert can lead as a light. In fact, that we are all called, whatever our unique personality, to be a, a light. We're a city on a hill. You, you can't hide leadership. I think Jesus is implying that as a follower of Jesus Christ, you can't hide leadership. Somewhere over the last decades in the history of the church, our spirituality has become something that's highly contained within us, that's something that goes on inside of us. But what's happening inside of us can't change the world. It can't 
impact our community. It can't impact our family. Some, some part of what's inside of us has to get out to the outside. It has to be a light. And a city on a hill, do you feel free to lead? And if you don't feel free to lead this morning, then could you ask yourself this question, what is holding me back? What is the thing that makes me feel like I need to stay in the background? I'm more of a consumer. I lead in a lot of ways, but I don't really lead in this spiritual realm. I don't really lead in the life of the kingdom of God. What would be holding you back? We live in a world that is suffering from a lack of leadership. In fact, it's a crisis of leadership. And most of us are willing to critique it. We're willing to worry over it. We're willing to gossip about it. But what are we willing to do about it? And do you believe you can do anything about it? It matters how we see it. As I was thinking about the crisis of leadership and doing some research, I came across an article by an author named Chris Pearson. He offers five reasons that leadership is in crisis. As I read the article, I thought, man, these things are really important for you and I. The first thing that he tells in this article is that a recent survey on the global agenda, so we're talking a worldwide survey, found that 86% of people who were asked the question agreed that the world is in a crisis of leadership. 86% of people around the world would state that there's an alarmingly weak correspondence between power and competency, that those in power are not necessarily up to the job of discharging their responsibilities to the benefit of those that they lead. That's a startling, staggering number. 86% of people around the world in the survey suggested that there is a genuine crisis of leadership. When trying to do research into why this is true, Pierce comes up with five things that he says are the primary source of the problem. Number one, we have become preoccupied with outcomes. That outcomes become this thing that we look at, that we always want to produce a finished product, that we're always presenting Uh, from our leaders, this sort of outcome that everyone desires. He goes on to say, the focus of leadership needs to be at the causal end of the chain of cause and effect. Consider this analogy. To grow a pumpkin, you need four elements, earth, air, sun, and water, and a seed. During its development, your attention is not on the pumpkin. It's on the four elements that make growth possible. It's called the environment. Just like the pumpkin, you have absolutely no idea exactly how anything will turn out. It's not predictable. Whether it's its size, its form, or its impact, the only thing you can control are the parameters of its environment. So when leaders fixate on outcomes, they do so to the detriment of the causal factors that will determine the quality of those outcomes. I just wonder how many of us that's true. We talk about outcomes. We talk about what we want. We talk about how we want it to be, but we fail to focus on the causal things that bring about those outcomes. Listen, leadership isn't glamorous. 
it's, it's tedious and, and dirty and complicated, and, and we're, we're down in the details, but we're nurturing an environment that could possibly produce the outcomes we desire. And as our culture more and more jumps to outcomes and, and advocates for those things, we're in a crisis of the things that lead us to those outcomes. Number two, the machine metaphor. Many leaders instinctively think of their organizations or their families as well-oiled machines. It is by far the most common metaphor used to think about organizations that are supposed to run smoothly. So, so the other issue is we have an expectation that our lives, that our organizations are going to run like a well-oiled machine. Pierce goes on to say this, that's a crazy way to think because the fundamental building blocks of human existence are VUCA, volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous. That organizations built around families do not run as well-oiled machines. They cannot. And when they pretend to or have an expectation to or act disappointed because they are not well-oiled machines, the, the leadership quality goes down. It falls into criticism. It falls into places of disappointment. It, calls, it falls into places where we feel like people are letting us down. And that becomes the environment in which we live. It becomes the culture in which we live today. Do you think of your family, of your life, as it's supposed to be a well-oiled machine when you know full well that's not how it works? That's not what's happening. Number three, there's a crisis of ego, vanity, and arrogance. Ego can be considered as the identification of the I with an idea, like I am successful. For example, the nature of our egos is determined by the particular ideas we identify with and the strength of that identification. There's a ton of energy that goes in with the need to be successful. When that's the case, when our need to be successful begins to rise to the top, I need to feel this way, I need this to happen, I need to see this, I need to feel this way, then something happens to our empathy for others. They're denying us what we need, and we see in leadership across our country and across our world. When our identity is invested in knowing what we're talking about, in being the expert, in being the person that's always right or always has the answer, or always understands better than anyone else, we're the smartest person in the circle, then a crisis occurs. Anytime we're questions, we, we have an existential moment. It's a crisis because someone's questioning us. Our ego can't take not being right all the time. We see it over and over in leadership in all kinds of phases of our existence. People unapologetically hurting others, but acting like it's okay for them to do that because they're the smartest one in the conversation. Number four, a deficiency of self-awareness. Self-awareness in leaders needs to encompass bringing the leader to the point of being aware and present to, listen carefully, to their own inner dynamics. The beliefs, the mindsets, the attitudes, the feelings, and the emotions that are conditioning their response to the world. Man, if we just stopped for a moment and we thought, why am I conditioned to respond the way I am? Why do I think what I think? How did I get here? We talked about it 
some months ago when we talked about the, the, the metacognitive ideas of stepping away from yourself and thinking about your thinking. And, and, and this crisis of leadership is leaving us in a space where, where we don't have sufficient self-awareness. Do you have sufficient self-awareness? In fact, I, I would guess that for a lot of us, we're, we're twisted up inside. We're stressed. We feel the pressure of what's going on in our world and in our culture and how divisive it is, and, 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 and we all have an opinion about what's going on and how it's unfolding. If you don't think so, post something on Facebook and see how much energy gets exerted you know, uh, as people argue back and forth with great passion. And yet all of us are a product of something. We got here somehow. Why do you think what you think? And then finally, number five, meaningless achievement. We, we live in a culture that celebrates meaningless achievement. And when you stop and you think about that, it, we have come to believe that busyness is a symbol that we are succeeding in our life. Franticness is a symbol we are succeeding. Being overly stressed makes us feel that we are being overly responsible. But in fact, this meaningless connection to achievement is doing nothing but zapping our energy to actually lead, to actually get into the elements that create the possibility of the outcomes that we desire. And so when you think about that, I... I think it's profound. I think we have a crisis of leadership, and I, I think these are some really interesting reasons as to why. So let's ask a few questions. Do you focus more on outcomes than causes? Do you seek to have your life run like a well-oiled machine when everything about life is VUCA? Volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous. Has that expectation robbed you of empathy for the people around you? Can you see beyond your own ego? Do your feelings have to be carefully kept? Do you lack self-awareness? Are you in touch with the beliefs, the mindsets, the attitudes, the feelings, and emotion that are conditioning your response to what's happening in the world? Do you venerate activity? Does busyness equate with accomplishment? Do you have a, a good rest-work balance in your life? Are you out of balance on either end? Is there way too much rest and not enough work? Is there way too much work and not enough rest? You're the light of the world. We are the light of the world. We are leading. The question is, are we leading well? If you think that this issue of leadership crisis is new to this time and to this culture, then you might need to consider that there really is nothing new under the sun. What's so very true of our culture today was true for the ancient Israelites, and it's into that crisis that Isaiah begins to write and call people forward into a new kind of leadership. In fact, God is calling them to be leaders who understand what's happening around them, and that follow after the servant leader that is to come. Isaiah's servant's passage blends several things together. He's, 
He's been writing now this long exposition uh, about idolatry in the culture. And so as you look into verse 41 or chapter 41, you'll hear this phrase over and over. Look carefully, look carefully, look carefully. It's repeated over and over. And as he uses that phrase as an introduction in that chapter, he, he says, look carefully, and then he'll talk about the idolatry of the culture. Look carefully at what people are worshiping. Look carefully at what they're worshiping. And he names them specifically. And then as he turns the corner into chapter 42, he uses the exact same phrase, look, behold. But now he presents a new idea. You've seen the idolatry. I'm calling you to a new kind of leadership. Look and behold at what this new thing looks like, at how it's being presented. It's not only the example of the coming servant in this servant passage, but it's also a call to Israel in their own time. And then it becomes a call to you and I in our time. Listen to the words, Isaiah 42, verse 1. Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not stuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on the earth. In his teaching the islands will put their hope. This is what God, the Lord, says. The creator of the heavens who stretches them out, who spreads out the earth with all that springs from it, who gives breath to its people and life to those who walk on it, I the Lord have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and will make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles, to open the eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison, and to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord. That is my name. I will not yield my glory to another or my praise to idols. See, the former things have taken place and the new things I declare, before they spring into being, I announce them to you. So at the core of Isaiah's vision is this God who brings justice. And so when you stop for a moment and you think about just this one idea, it's not the kind of justice that we practice where our own perspectives color our opinions about justice. And let me just stop for a minute. We, we have such varied ideas about what justice means. And we feel like we are forced into choices about who best represents justice in our world and in our culture and in our politics. Folks, it is only the power of God that understands what justice really is. We're not talking about our bent-up, strangled version of justice. We're talking about a kingdom of justice where it is actually just top to bottom. That in this kingdom of justice, there's, there's no place for racism. That there's no place for sexism. There's, there's no place for virtue signaling. There's no place for looking good on the surface but being rotten underneath. In this kingdom of God, He's bringing this justice that puts an end to prejudices of every kind of bigotry. And, and what we're experiencing in our culture is this great pendulum swing back and forth and back and forth. 
We go after one kind of justice. We want this one kind of outcome. And in going after that, a whole bunch of other people find injustice. And then we swing back and we try to get it justice over here. And in getting justice over here, a whole bunch of people find injustice. And, and God is saying through Isaiah, listen, there's only one source of true justice. And it is the power of God manifest as the kingdom of God is brought to life inside of human beings. We are not forced to choose. We are not forced to take sides. We are not su supposed to be the people that say, well, these people are about 80% right, so I'm going to go with them. We may be forced into making those choices when it comes to where we vote and all that other stuff. But listen, that does not limit our leadership to pursue the true justice of the kingdom of God. That's what we're about. That's what this is. If we dumb down our message of justice to fit one side or the other of the culture that's going on within our little country as a piece of this broad reality in the world, then we are doing a disservice to the kingdom of God, which stands for absolute justice. Justice that breaks down every wall that stands between us loving any neighbor as ourself. That's the message of the kingdom. That the power and the grace of this redeeming servant will come in a way that true justice can be practiced. Wherever we live, wherever we go, whatever is happening around us, we are people who are the light of the world. We lead like this. We don't take sides. We lead for the justice and the perfection of the kingdom of God. In this passage, I think there are six qualities that Isaiah highlights that model the servant leader and model what he's calling the, the children of Israel to do and be, and what he's asking of you and I. Number one, it's a quiet leadership. It's a quiet leadership. I just want that to sink in for a minute. Here's my servant whom I am uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I'll put my spirit on him. He'll bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. Words have a cumulative effect. They build up over time. Destructive words carry more and more weight the longer we use them and the longer we participate in them. As they go unacknowledged, as they go undiffused, they begin to wear down people and relationships. And some of us have been given in to this negative, condemning talk. Isaiah says, the Messiah will not cry out. Moiter Alec, in his great commentary on Isaiah, says this Messiah will not be self-assertive. In not shouting, he will not startle others. In not crying out, he promises to not dominate with his voice. He promises to not shout others down. In not raising his voice, he will not advertise himself. Alec says, these words also have a cumulative effect. This Savior, servant, and Messiah will offer a quiet leadership that is much more the life of a servant than an activist. It's a quiet kind of leadership in which we understand there are injustices in the world, but we also understand that every human matters. Number two, it's a redeeming leadership. A bruised reed he will not break, a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. 
In other words, when encountering the bruised reed or the smoldering wick, that would be the individual who is struggling. That would be the individual who is weak. That would be the individual who is misguided. That would be the individual who is uninformed. That would be the individual who is ill-informed. When encountering those people, the servant will not be dismissive or contemptuous. Instead, he will seek to mend the broken reeds and to fan into flame the smoldering wicks. That's redemptive leadership. That is a light on a hill. It's not arrogant. It's not domineering. It's not vicious. It's not mean. It's not intolerant. And it's not divisive. It is a seeker of truth and justice and freedom. And our souls were made for such things. We were created with a longing to see those things happen and to return to a true kind of justice where we no longer have to say, yeah, but, yeah, that's good, but. Well, I like that, but. It's a redeeming kind of leadership. Number three, it's a steady kind of leadership. He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on the earth. If we're going to be servant leaders, if we're going to be leaders in the kingdom of God, if we're going to be a light on a hill, then there's a reality. When we're confronting the very things that bruise the reed and quench the fire, when we're trying to confront the things that distract from true justice, you have to know this, that's a hard task. It's a hard task because it's hard for anybody in this culture to discern exactly what that looks like. So we don't get preoccupied with the outcome. We think about the atmosphere that must be created for that outcome to exist. Uh, An environment that must be quiet, that must be steady, that in that reality it is uh, also a redeeming kind of leadership that values people. In the face of the difficulty, we don't falter or become discouraged. When seeking true justice, it's, it's a hard path. Servant leadership is steady leadership. It's consistent in its endurance and its ability to be encouraged and the encourager. Servant leaders are not frantic. They're not fearful. They're not reactive. It's quiet and it's redeeming and it's steady. Number four inspiring leadership in his teaching the islands will put their hope it's kind of a strange phrase for us we didn't even know we were talking about islands and very seldom when we think about the children of Israel are we thinking about islands and so it seems to be an odd thing it simply means that the most remote places the places where the darkest and most remote places in the world put their hope in this kind of justice, in this kind of God. It's simply to say that this kind of leadership, the work of Jesus Christ in the fulfillment of the suffering sermon, but the work of Israel to be the light to the Gentiles, and the work of you and I to be the light of the world, that this kind of leadership inspires people towards something greater, that that the very darkest and most remote places on the planet and also in the human heart long for such a thing and awaken to it and put their hope in it. 
Let me just ask you, is there anything about the story you're telling that causes people to feel like, I, I want to know more about that. I want to be a part of that. I want to be a part of that cause and that vision and, and the creation of that community on the face of this planet. I, I want to live like that and think like that. Number five, it's a covenant leadership. This is what God says, the Lord, the creator of the heavens, who stretches them out, who spreads out the earth with all the spring, that all that springs from it, who gives breath to its people and life to those who walk in it. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I'll take hold of your right hand. I will keep, keep you and will make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles. The idea of covenant is all over Scripture. It simply means this. God has a part and you and I have a part. We can't do God's part, but we are responsible to do our part. And the question just simply becomes, are we? Have we taken seriously that we are in a crisis of leadership in our world, in our culture, in our churches? We are so tempted to become consumers of what God has to offer, but that's not our call. Our call is to be leaders, all of us, not some of us. And in that is this idea of covenant, that God has commissioned each of us to have responsibility in the kingdom. To not believe that our, our, our vocation is our life and, and we come to church and we worship God as an avocation. That it's just an addition that helps us have enough strength to go do our real vocation. The kingdom of God is made up of servants who understand that you got to go make money. But don't lay up treasure on earth. Lay up treasure in heaven. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. We're invited into this place of a covenant relationship where God has called us to take responsibility number six it's a practical leadership to open eyes that are blind and to free captives from prison and to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness i'm the lord that's my name i will not yield my glory to another or my praise to idols see the former things have taken place and new things i declare before they spring into being i announce them to you just very simply Practical leadership involves real people in real circumstances making a real difference in the real world. We've talked about it over and over. Sometimes people become so heavenly minded that they're no earthly good. But Isaiah's vision is that the servant will come and he will actually make a difference in the lives of very real people. And it won't just be in their spiritual realm. It will be in their physical realm. It will happen all around the environment in which they live. There'll be hope. There'll be something genuinely different. And that you and I are invited into that reality to, to, to make a difference in the practical world in which we live. That's why we have partnerships. That's, that's why we invest ourselves in people with faces and names and, and churches that are down the street because we understand that what happens inside of us is a powerful reality of the kingdom of God. But what is in us must get out of us. It must make a difference in this real world. So I said at the beginning I wanted to just talk. As the band comes back, I, I just want to say this. <laughs> in the next few weeks, we're going to come back together. We're going to have in-person gatherings and we'll be limited in how we do that. And the reality is uh, we have a congregation of about eight or 900 people. And when we have a congregation of about eight or 900 people and we have a room here that seats about 200 and 
30 people in a room in Pasadena that seats somewhere around 120 or so, we recognize that those numbers don't all add up. And we recognize that as we navigate through these next few weeks and months and as we navigate after a year of being apart, as we navigate the financial realities of what that's done to us and how that works, yeah, we've made it. We've cut back. We've cut down. You've been faithful. A lot of good things have happened. But we're not where we need to be coming back. We can't just pick up and start again without a whole bunch of people stepping into responsibility and leadership. And it's not going to be easy. It's going to take an incredible level of maturity for us to, to navigate these next few weeks until we can get a room full of people. And maybe that'll only be a few weeks, but it'll at least be a few weeks. And you might get online and find that the reservations for the 10 a.m. are full or the reservations for the 9 a.m. are full. We're going to do everything we can. And we may change the numbers. When we started gathering outside, we thought we knew how many people we could accommodate, but we didn't take into account for exactly how people are going to sit. And we found we could put more people in because there were pods of people who sat closer together that opened up space, so there was more room. We may find a rising number in the next few weeks. We're going to ask you to wear masks. We're going to ask you to sanitize your hands. We're going to keep doing what we know to do to, to keep this thing at bay. And whether you believe in that or you don't believe in it, you're a leader. You're the light of the world. We're working for the greater good. Not everybody's on the same page. So we're going to do our very best to accommodate. So what I'm asking of you is to genuinely lead, really lead. We're not consumers. We're not consumers of the kingdom of God. We are all the kingdom of God alive on earth. We have different roles to play. Some of us do one thing and some of us do another. But that does not diminish the reality that all the roles are vital and all of them matter and that the body is diminished if we do not all step up and take our place. So I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you to step into this place. You are the light of the world. We are leading. And the real question is, are we leading well? Are we leading consistently with God's word? Are we being a light to the world? And if not, man, let's repent. Let's confess Let's not get so preoccupied with outcomes that we forget about the environment that must be, dirt, be nurtured so that those outcomes are possible. And let's do this together. Let me pray over you. God, would you help us? We understand the complexity of the world in which we live. We understand the crisis of leadership. But we understand that you gave us the example of the servant leader Jesus Christ who looked square in the eye of disciples who wanted political change who wanted to overthrow Rome who wanted seats of power and influence and he said to them whoever would be greatest among you must be the servant of all forgive us if we have forgotten that our primary responsibility in the kingdom is to lead and that you have freed us to lead that you long to bring justice to this world, a justice that transcends politics and race and sexism and all the other things that holds our culture and our world captive. May we be ambassadors of that kingdom. 
May we be ambassadors of reconciliation as if God himself were making his plea through us. May we consciously pray for it and seek it. May we bring it back into this place as we gather in these next few weeks and we come back for in-person worship and we sing and praise together when we recognize the value. We play complete restoration of your church. Complete restoration of the fellowship and the life and the growth and the kingdom and the worship of God present in this place. But we pray that it spills out beyond these walls and into the streets and into a passion for each of us to lead as servant leaders. I pray that you do that work in us. Hear our prayers as we respond to your word. We pray it in Jesus' name and everybody said together, amen and amen. God bless you. Thanks for being with us. Let's worship as we close today. Thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at www.montrosechurch.org. Have a great day.